Welcome to the Longitude Research Podcast, Thought Leadership Insights, where senior figures from the firm, together with leading marketing executives, explore key trends shaping the evolution of thought leadership and marketing. I am your host, Fregel Byrne. In this first episode of Thought Leadership Insights, Longitude Research co-founders Rob Mitchell and James Watson, together with Managing Director Gareth Lofthouse, share the firm's thought leadership predictions for the year ahead. Welcome to the podcast, Rob. Thank you, Virgil. So what's the background here for the predictions? So the background to these predictions is uh, is something we try and do every year, and is to ask the team that we've got here at Longitude what they see as the key trends in thought leadership and what they see as the key changes that they expect to see over the next 12 months. And we ask them to look at the whole range of different aspects of thought leadership, from thought leadership strategy to how research gets done through to how content and research gets activated or launched to its intended audience. So what predictions are you going to talk about today, Rob? I'm going to talk about two predictions. So one is this idea of omnichannel thought leadership, which is a, a term that's perhaps more familiar from the, the world, world of retail than it is from thought leadership, but it's uh, an interesting concept that I'd like to share some thoughts about. And the second is this idea of of, of ideas needing better activation. So uh, we're we're very used to seeing uh, great insights coming from thought leadership. This is the idea that marketers need to focus more on how they take those ideas to market. Right. That's very interesting. Now, omni-channel, I guess we've heard it and seen it implemented retail and financial services. What is it at heart, omni-channel? What's the idea here? Well, I think the idea is about offering consumers or your audience a, a seamless experience, regardless of how they engage with your marketing. So if you think about it in a retail context, it's the idea that you know you may browse for something you want to purchase in a shop, and then you go and research it online, and then you maybe buy it on a mobile channel once you've compared prices across different retailers. I think when it comes to thought leadership, you can apply a, a similar line of thinking. Until fairly recently, thought leadership was delivered across a fairly small number of channels. So you'd be perhaps pushing out your content to an audience via email or leaving a physical copy of a report on your client's desk or maybe pulling them in through through web advertising. But as it is with retail, the world's become much more complex and, and your audience is now used to moving between different channels and formats you know, pretty promiscuously. And where are companies with this at the moment? Well, I, I think it's still relatively early days and uh, I'm not sure there are many B2B companies that are offering a truly seamless omni-channel experience when it comes to thought leadership. But I do think it's the direction that things are moving, following the way that we've seen this in retail, and as you point out, in financial services as well, that marketers need to think about how their audiences consume content and recognize that they're pretty agnostic when it comes to channels, when it comes to devices, and when it comes to formats. And they expect to be able to move from one to the other and have a seamless experience. But what I would say is I think many companies at the moment, that, that experience is not very seamless. And you may visit some or you may look at some content online and then go to you know another part of, of the website and find that branding's a bit different, the messaging's a bit different. So it isn't very seamless at the moment. And I think most B2B organizations would probably recognize that. And there's some way to go. But I think this is something we'll see more of in the, in the next two, three years. I can see the delivery aspect of it. What about when it comes to planning and design? Is there certain kinds of content that's more appropriate for certain media, for certain channels? And is that important to think about that at the earliest stages? Absolutely. So I think that Omnichannel is also about the content strategy. So it's about having a seamless, consistent message across all of your content. 
And this is something that I think, you know, many companies are starting to think about. Perhaps, again, they're, they're not quite there yet. So, in other words, when you're thinking about thought leadership, when you're thinking about your content, you need to think about the message you want to get across to that audience. And then you need to make sure that that message is delivered in a seamless way across all the various formats and channels that you're using from a marketing standpoint. Right. And then when it comes to delivery, can you talk a little bit about that side of it? Does this mean that you need to have more IT people involved or does the process change? Uh, Have you any thoughts on that, Rob? I think the first stage of the process is to work out where your audience is hanging out. So where, where are they consuming your content? I think very often companies don't know enough about that. They don't do enough research on, you know, what are the kind of ways in which their audiences consume content? Are they accessing it via social media? Are they accessing it via events or email marketing or web search? There's various ways in which they could be doing it. So I think once you know that, then you can start thinking about how you build the content across the various channels that are most widely used by your audience. And that gives you this idea of prioritization because you need to focus on the channels and formats that are most relevant to your audience. Omnichannel doesn't mean that you have to do absolutely everything across all channels because that would be probably far too complex and and far too expensive, quite frankly. So you need to prioritize and ensure that the audience you're trying to reach is getting the delivery and is getting the content in the channels that are most suitable to them. That's really helpful, Rob. Can you talk about how this applies to the buyer's journey, the research that a buyer does leading up to a purchase? What's the second prediction, Rob, that you'd like to discuss? I think going back a couple of years, uh, you know, many B2B marketers would invest a large proportion of their budgets on the research and the content and perhaps not enough on the activation and and what we're seeing is a little bit of a rebalancing where yes the investment in, in research and the content is incredibly important as your foundation but they're thinking about how they activate and how they take it to market i think it's quite linked with this idea of omnichannel where you know perhaps in the past marketers thought about perhaps a fairly small number of channels through which they would activate their thought leadership and their content I think in an omni-channel world, it is a more complex undertaking, and they're having to think about a large variety of different channels that they theoretically could distribute their content and activate it. So, you know, you look at social media, and there are, you know, dozens of different channels there that you could focus on. Uh, There's the PR channel, there's events, email, face-to-face meetings, there's all sorts of different channels they need to think about. And our view is that companies really need to start thinking about that activation in a more structured way and ensure that they're you know, spending as much time and effort on activation and taking content to market as they are on creating it in the first place. And I think what that means is, is again, this understanding of where your audience hangs out. So what are, the, what are the channels that are going to be most relevant to them and how are they likely to access your content? And then your activation can be tailored to those needs. I think another thing that we're starting to see quite a lot of that relates to this is this idea of KPIs for thought leadership, so key performance indicators, and the idea that when you start a project, you've got some metrics that you're tracking that determine whether or not that project has been a success. And of course, the project, the thought leadership itself has to be insightful and and great content and robust research, but it also needs to uh, achieve the marketing and commercial objective that was set out in the first place. And that, I think the activation needs to be aligned with those KPIs. So in other words, if your key focus is all about brand building, then your KPIs are going to be related to PR metrics and and engagement and downloads. And and you would focus on that as, as part of your activation. If your KPIs are all about revenue building, then you're probably going to focus on a different type of activation, face to face meetings for your business development people, for example, or events, where you can get your research in front of audiences, 
and get conversations going between your business development people or your partners and the audience you're trying to reach. When you talk about activation, what have you in mind here, Rob? Essentially, what we're talking about is how research and content gets taken to market. In a thought leadership project, you'll do your research and you'll produce your content. But what's the next step after that? And these days, it's much, much more complex than simply posting it on the website and, uh, and sending out a press release. Activation is all about thinking about the different channels that you could use to take your thought leadership to market and ensuring that you're optimizing the use of those channels in a way that's as relevant as possible for your intended audience. That's very interesting. And I guess the planning is one thing and the best laid plans in the world. But when it comes to actually delivering content, there are pressures as well, particularly time pressures, deadlines, and a lot of energy can go into actually creating the content. And then just by virtue of uh, timings and so forth, there may be less time available when it comes to actually delivering on the activation. What advice have you got for companies here? I think the key is to think about thought leadership as a campaign. I don't think that on the launch of a project, every element of the activation needs to be synchronized and and ready in one go. In fact, I think it's better practice to release different pieces of content across different channels over a period of time, because that allows you to build momentum and sustain conversations with your intended audience, and is actually a much better approach than the old Big Bang idea where everything got launched in one go. And then you had, you know, quite high impact for a short period of time, but it then tails off quite quickly. Thanks, Rob. If I can turn to you, Gareth, what predictions are you going to talk about? I've got a, a couple of predictions that I think are going to be, be huge trends for the months ahead. And the first of these is that brands are really going to start focusing their marketing firepower on doing less volume of thought leadership, but much better quality of thought leadership campaigns. Um, When it comes to planning their content, the mantra for marketing directors is going to be to do fewer, but to do it bigger and much better. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. For a lot of the clients we work with, they've seen a proliferation in recent years of all sorts of content programs. You get these sort of pet projects, which... um, There's some business leader or perhaps a business partner who thinks it's a good idea, but it's not really being tested with the audience. And those sorts of things too often, they they fall flat um, or they may not be joined up with the overall marketing and corporate strategy. There needs to be a a good clear out and, and sort of audit, if you like, of these programs to see which ones really make sense, which ones really resonate with the brand positioning and with what audiences want to read and and learn about. And that certainly helps to validate which programs to back. The other aspect of this streamlining of thought leadership, if you like, is that these investments in thought leadership to get the right impact, it's, it's a fairly substantial investment that brands are making. So you've got to be sure that they are targeted strategically in the right areas for the business, that they're going to achieve the right critical mass to be noticed uh, against all this other noise. And sometimes we hear that clients are saying, well, we're competing with ourselves. There is so much coming out from some of these larger B2B organizations, whether it be a professional services company or a bank or a big tech company, they they churn so much out that they're actually competing with themselves uh, and tripping over themselves for the attention of their audiences. 
And we advise clients to to pick, you know, your your three, four, five flagship programs and really get behind those before looking at, at some of the other pieces that might build around that. You mentioned some important questions, whether or not thought leadership resonates, whether it reaches critical mass. How good are companies at answering these questions? Have they got a good handle on how well their thought leadership is doing? The whole area of how you target your thought leadership campaign and how you measure its success is becoming more important. You know, brands are certainly wanting to do it. Marketing directors are looking for the tools to do that well. But it's, it's still an area which companies are, are learning about. So I think, you know, to start with what does success look like, it's a pretty obvious question to, to ask yourself when you're planning these campaigns. But as I said before, it's not something that companies are necessarily spending enough time or putting enough rigor into thinking that through. So we like to advise clients to be thinking about, you know, what's the ultimate purpose here? Are you going to measure the, the success in terms of, you know, what impacts it's going to have for your reputation? Are we talking about media coverage here? If it's media coverage, what titles and media channels are we targeting? Um, and it's not just ticking the box in terms of the volume of media coverage, but what message, what issue are you going to own when it comes to getting those headlines? There needs to be alignment between not just column inches, but also is it on the right stuff? That's one of the areas that you might target your plan around. You might also be thinking about engagement from a sort of revenue point of view. How is the thought leadership going to build commercially valuable relationships? How is it going to ultimately help the revenue line? And again, there are lots of ways that thought leadership can do that, but you need to, to think very carefully about how it's going to be used, therefore, by the sales organization when it comes to that, that end of the spectrum. Thanks, Gareth. So what's the second prediction you're going to talk about? So for my second prediction, I think companies are going to get a lot smarter about using intelligent content to drive sales. A lot of people think that, that thought leadership is a, a fluffy or somewhat academic exercise, but done right, we think it's precisely the opposite. It only really works if it drives engagement with the sorts of decision makers uh, and audiences that really matter for you as a brand. And, you know, the best companies know how to use uh, original research and powerful insights to open doors with their prospects. Uh, and I guess to, to create a foundation for the, the engagement and the conversations they need to be having with decision makers. It's hard to get time uh, if you're trying to target as a company 100 chief executives that, that really could make the difference to your growth plan. It's hard to get the conversations and the right strategic discussions with those types of decision makers. We've seen how good thought leadership, planned in the right way, targeted in the right way, and carefully mapped into the way you know, clients work with their key accounts, it can really open doors for these kind of brands. Lots to think about there, Gareth. Thank you for your predictions. If I can turn to you, James, what predictions are you going to talk about? 
Yeah, I've got two things I think are going to be interesting in 2017 for B2B marketers. Uh, one is around structured journalism and the wider trend of corporate brands becoming more like publishers and what this is going to mean for them as they seek to act a bit more like uh, publishers. That's so going to be an interesting area. I think the second one is a bit of a lighter topic. It's around the emergence of issues and, and opportunities like augmented reality. As consumer B2C marketers start to make more and more interesting use of these kinds of tools and techniques, I think we're going to start seeing more B2B marketers wondering what they can do in this and how can they take advantage of that. So structured journalism, James, what is that and where, where has that emerged from? Yeah, so this is a this has been a talking point in the in the media and journalism sector for some time, and I think the BBC in particular has taken a particular kind of driver in in trying to be at the forefront of this. And I think it comes back to the realization that a lot of the stories that we grapple with today are are complex by their very nature, and they're stories that evolve over time. And it's difficult to to just give a snapshot of them in one place. And so what you start to see happening is when you're reading a story about a complex issue, like let's say the American election, there's the update on what's going on in the in the story. But you usually see today more and more, and we've become familiar with it, there's a set of links and boxes and sidebars all embedded within the story that are telling you kind of, you know, what's the timeline around this thing, or where's the background around the characters involved in this, or, you know, what do these issues kind of mean for people? And it allows people to not just kind of get to grips with a particular issue, but also kind of get the the context around these issues and how this all kind of links together and feeds into each other. And I think the same is going to start becoming true of uh, corporate B2B publishing, where a lot of the stories that we're trying to tell are complex by their very nature. They're dealing with issues or technologies or themes that are multidimensional and have a lot of different facets to them. And I think we're going to see B2B marketers wanting to draw on some of these structured journalism techniques to be able to tell complex thought leadership uh, stories, but in a way that is accessible to readers and that they can draw in and, and drill down on the different kind of related elements within this, as opposed to the sort of, I've told you all of this in a you know, a 67-page report um, that you have to download and read from sort of front to back. And that sort of linear approach, I think, is going to give way to something that is a little bit more embedded, lots of links within it that can take you around and hop you around from one part of the story to the other, depending on where your interest might lie and depending on what you want to get more insight into. You're talking about a more modular approach, I guess. And are we also talking about different forms of maybe multimedia and data incorporated here? Absolutely. I think that's a real part of it. So, you know, a lot of the the studies that we get to grips with have a rich underpinning of data. And yet it's often difficult to find ways to extract the insights from that data and to share it. And I think a lot of um, people that are reading these things would love to be able to access and and play around with the data more. So I, I think you will increasingly start to see um, we've got examples of this with with uh, some clients that we know Accenture for instance has worked with tools like Tableau to help provide and, and embed data in a way that you can not only kind of see what the, the insights are from it but you can start filtering for yourself as a reader to say what does this mean for my sector or how does this differ in my region of the world or uh, whatever the case might be and having that um, 
having that data sort of embedded within the wider story as one of the elements that you can go and look to and in combination with a lot of other elements, you know, whether it's case studies of what particular things are going on, whether it's sort of the, the narrative around what's, uh, what this all means for your business or indeed the, the data that you point out. And I think depending on where your interests lie as a reader, depending on what you want to kind of get to grips with, you can sort of dive in and out on this as you see fit to, to access and understand the story from your perspective. It suggests, as you say, a, a rather different way the way many brands have been looking at promoting content. So what are a few of the challenges for companies here and have you got any advice? Yeah, so this all fits with the, the wider theme that we've been talking about for some time around brands becoming publishers in their own right. And this is not a new trend. We've, we've seen it for, for some time. In fact, some of the B2C brands like Coca-Cola have been quite serious publishers for a long time. They own radio stations in some markets and they've really taken sort of content uh, to heart as they sought to communicate with their audiences. But as these companies start to you know think of themselves in this way and as they make content a bigger part of their marketing mix and that they go to market with, they're going to have to think more about how they can act like publishers too. And what are the skill sets that they're going to need to bring on board um, to, to help deliver on this? How will they have to start thinking differently within their organizations to, um, to handle this better? I think very few have taken significant strides in that direction. We have seen the emergence of a range of new roles, um, you know, for example, around people with dedicated functions on head of thought leadership and so on and so forth. That's really interesting. But where are the corporate journalists or where are the corporate kind of data researchers and these types of functions? For those companies that are going to invest more and, and get more to grips with this kind of structured journalism approach, they're going to have to start thinking more about the skills that they tap into, whether internally or externally. Fascinating, James. Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about your second prediction? Yeah, so this is a bit of a lighter one. Over the past few years, we've seen in particular consumer marketers starting to make interesting use of an emerging set of technologies that are you know, variously kind of around virtual reality or augmented reality or, or things like that. And one of the great examples in London, I recall, was a brand, I think it might have been Pepsi, that put an augmented reality display against the London bus stop and had all these scenes playing out that looked like they were really happening. You know, you had aliens landing on the on the sidewalk and, and all kinds of things going on. And of course, it, it wasn't real, but uh, it got people excited. It got a tremendous amount of traction. They got videos of this that went viral and they were being shared all over the place. I don't think B2B marketers are going to be taking an approach like that, but it does suggest to me that they will increasingly start to experiment with tools and techniques, whether within their reports or within things like events and shows that they might be participating in to gain attention to stand out from the crowd to do something a bit different one of the examples we saw this year with one of our clients Barclays was was great to see they did a retail report they made use of this app called Blipper which allows you to kind of scan the page with your with your smartphone and it brings out and essentially kind of provides an augmented reality experience so where they provided for example data within the report you could scan over it with your phone and it would bring the data to life. It would kind of provide an animation explaining what was going on or it would embed a video uh, of someone talking about what this meant for retailers and so on and so forth. Now, today, probably only a small fraction of readers actually makes use of that. 
But as smartphones become more ubiquitous and as people become more familiar with interesting approaches like augmented reality, I think more B2B marketers will start testing the waters with us and seeing what they can do to get attention for their output. Great, great. Maybe one final question. What does this mean for companies? We're talking about some pretty uh, advanced technologies. Presumably, they need to get technology people in the team. More generally, one or two things you suggest companies should think about exploring these exciting technologies. I think it goes back to a theme that we have studied a bit in some of our research around the increased need for marketers to wear a technology hat, or at the very least, to collaborate much more closely with their technology and IT support functions within the business. I think we're going to see more and more the embedding and interlinking of technology and and content, not least in terms of what different channels do you go to market on. One of our clients, Capgemini, have appointed a lead function that is all around digital distribution of their content. That's what his focus is all about. That's what he thinks about a lot in terms of how best to do this, how to break up content for different verticals, how to take advantage of new kinds of emerging social media that might be more visual in form or just take a different approach. So it's great to see functions like that emerging. I think many companies are still struggling with that and they have a lot more to do to become more accustomed to technology and to take advantage of the of the opportunities it might hold for them. That's a lot for marketers to think about, and I think we'll end here today. Thank you very much, Robert, Gareth, and James, for your time today. Thanks to all of you listening. If you'd like to find out more information about these predictions, please visit longituderesearch.com, where you can also subscribe to this podcast.